dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you tonight, Meryl McNally? I'm excellent. How are you, Zach? I'm good. I'm good. All right. So today we're doing a brand new Meryl Streep movie. It is Sunday as we're recording this. This movie just came out two days ago on Netflix. It's called The Laundromat. We're going to jump into it in just a second. But as usual, before we do, Meryl, what have you seen lately? What have you been doing out in New York, either plays or movies? Or what have you seen that's worthy of, uh, you know, either a thumbs up or a thumbs down? down i went to see i went to see betrayal on broadway um it's a harold penter play with um actually a a bunch of well-known actors from sort of the marvel universe tom hiddleston charlie cox and uh a lovely actor named zawe ashton it was it was very good i recommend it to anybody who's in new york especially if like a quiet Uh, a three-person play. If you're an actor, you'll love it. Go see it. Um, Movie-wise, what have I watched besides The Laundromat? I feel like I've watched things, but I can't remember any of them because I've slept since then. (laughs) I feel like that's the story of my life. Okay. Um, I don't... Nothing nothing I'm going to, like, shout from the rooftops about for our listeners to go watch. At least not at this moment. If something comes to me. I'll let you know. But what about you? Um, the one that I thought was maybe an interesting one to talk about here, it factors in for sure, I think, uh, to the Oc- to the Oscars discussion that I'm sure we'll have as part of this movie, is uh, Judy, uh, the Judy Garland oh, biopic. I want to see it so badly. So I have to say, um, was, have never really been a big Judy Garland fan. Didn't really know anything about her, actually, outside of Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I just never like knew anything about her. Um, and there are things that I like Renee Zellweger in, including One True Thing, which she was in with Meryl. Um, but I and Cold Mountain, of course, Jerry Maguire, Chicago, all of that stuff. But I feel like she's maybe somebody who and this is not a bad thing at all, but like the films that she makes are I'm maybe not the primary demographic for kind of in general. So I haven't sure. seen a lot of her movies. Um, so I've never been a giant fan of hers either. I was, I've always liked her. I'm going out of my way to like over explain this because I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing her, Yeah. but I've never been like a giant fan of hers, but apparently the combination that works for me is Renee Zellweger as Judy Garland, because it was freaking <laughs> amazing. I've heard that. I've heard she's phenomenal. It, do- it doesn't really surprise. I am actually a big fan of hers. Um, I feel like she went through some tough times there about 10 years ago. Yeah. Things sort of went south. And she's admittedly said that. Um, I think it got in the way of her talent and her ability to to do good work. And I'm so I'm so glad this has come around for her. Because even just, I've, I haven't seen the film. I've only seen the trailer. But in the trailer, she's freaking magnificent. I'm a huge Judy Garland fan. Um, I do know a lot about her. She's definitely just a super tragic figure. Right. Just in the trailer alone, 
Renee Zellweger captures her so beautifully, which is impressive to me because she doesn't sound anything like her. And that's just, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. And this is, it's a unique movie because it's obviously not a, it's not really what I would call a musical. There are musical numbers in it, but it's Judy Garland performing. It's not one of those musicals where I'm talking, I'm talking now, all of a sudden I'm singing and there's no explanation for, you know, where is the orchestra sound coming from? And are other people hearing what I'm singing? You know, it's like her performing as Judy Garland, which is for me, the preferred kind of uh, method of doing that. And like, she only does a few, but the, like her performances, like are are fantastic. I would listen to her sing all day as Judica. Like it's really, she sounds great. So cool. I didn't expect that. And I don't remember, you know, I think I only saw Chicago when it came out. I, I don't think I've ever like revisited that, but I don't remember thinking, oh, what a great voice Renee Zellweger has. Um, and maybe she does and I just forgot. I don't know. But the, um, I just, she's so good in this movie. She has to be at this point, the front runner for winning the best actress. I don't, I, I should actually look up to see, um, kind of some of those websites and see, you know, what is out there about, you know, Oscars right now, all the prediction stuff that we occasionally uh, go through. But at this point, it's a lot of it's still conjecture because we're starting to see the movies. But, you know, not a lot of them have been out yet. I don't know. Have you heard anything Oscar-wise that is surprising one way or another? Um, I don't know about surprising. I know Bombshell's probably in the running. I don't know if you've seen the trailers for that. It looks amazing. I've heard Um, incredible things about that one. I think that one's going to be a major player, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Jojo Rabbit's probably in the mix. Um, which I'm really excited to see. It's Taika Waititi's new film. Yeah, and it's supposed to be, I mean, it's like a Hitler musical or something, isn't it? Like, it's supposed to be crazy. Yeah, like, I I think he definitely, he uses, he uses Hitler as a comedic figure, for sure. Right, right. Um, Yeah, I'm excited to see that. There's been Oscar talk about that. There was some Oscar buzz around Jennifer Lopez and Hustlers. Right. Um, That's about all I've heard heard though i think right now um oh the uh the marriage got really well received i think the marriage is it marriage story or the marriage marriage story i think it is marriage story yeah with adam driver and uh scarlett johansson and laura Um, too yeah oh yeah 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 and then of course you know little women's probably in the mix Little Women is is up there. So is um, The Irishman, I think, is probably at this point considered to be a really big possibility. Fun fact about The Irishman is that, you know, the Netflix films, in order to qualify for the Oscars, have to have at least a limited traditional theatrical release to qualify because we're still going old school with the Academy. And um, I I don't know if they had trouble getting the... the movie uh, movie house chains to show it. I'm not sure what happened, but they weren't able to distribute it per se in a limited way to like traditional movie chains. So they rented out a Broadway theater. Right. They rented out Alaska here in New York and are showing it there. Um, I don't know for like a month or two. Right. Yeah. It's bonkers. That's a hefty price tag. 
Yeah. Well, and it's kind of like slowly trickling out starting November 1st, which is actually coming up pretty quickly. Um, and then I think it starts streaming on Netflix at the end of, of the, of that month. Yeah. That one will be really interesting. It's getting, it's three and a half hours long, which seems, I don't know, no. at this point kind of seems kind of like a lot, but I guess I'm, I'm, I'm putting a hard no out there. I just like, I can't. Just the thought of that movie frustrates me to no end. How I just, so? I personally do not have room for any more Martin Scorsese gangster movies. The end. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I am done. <laughs> so right. I feel very strongly about it, if you all can't tell. Apparently. Yes. This will be one of the few times that you and I disagree, because I got to yeah. say. Well, yeah, oh, and I think the majority of people disagree with me. I love sure. Goodfellas so much and Casino too. And Casino is too long, but you know what? It, actually, both those movies are like a solid two and a half, almost three, but they just don't, to me, feel like it. I know that's probably not true to you, but um, they don't to Casino, me feel. Which movie? Casino and which movie? Goodfellas. Oh, Goodfellas. Yeah. You know what? When I saw them, I liked them, right? And... I definitely appreciate Martin Scorsese's genius and his place in film history. I think I think I am personally tired of stories about strongmen, right? Oh, okay. Like that yeah. that American myth of gangster. Right. I'm just tired of it. Yeah, it would be it would be nice to see Scorsese do something a little different. Although, you know, he does he does some kind of under the radar, especially music documentaries, although usually usually men, too. Well, and he did that really lovely. Um, oh, God, what was it called? He did that really lovely. It, w- it was basically a children's movie. The 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 boy who lived in the in the oh, train. Hugh- I think you have Hugo. Yes. So lovely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It would be it would be nice. It's kind of like the the thing that we used to talk about with Spielberg before the Post, where like you know he's worked with he's he's given probably actually more than Spielberg has women some good roles in his movies, but still the central figure is a man, you know. Yeah. And it would be it would be nice to see Scorsese direct Meryl Streep or somebody, you know, like. Get, have them be the focal point of the film. Really yeah, nice. I hadn't I hadn't really considered that because you know he's got the it's alternately a De Niro movie and then a Leonardo DiCaprio movie it seems like and he just kind of like pivots between those two. So, um, okay, so I'm looking on Gold Derby um, at the top ten at this point predict predicted uh, best picture nominees. I'm just going to read this out. Um, some of these, a couple of these, I actually haven't even heard of. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is listed number one, but it's also tied with The Irishman. They're running about the same. Just a little below that is Marriage Story, then Jojo Rabbit. Actually, Scarlett Johansson's in both of those, actually. Um, Number number five is Parasite. This is one of the ones I've not heard of. I don't know what Parasite is. Do you know this movie? No. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know that one at all. Then 1917... Then Little Women, then a be- then a beautiful day in the neighborhood, then Joker, of course Joker, and then Ford versus Ferrari. Okay, it's yeah. interesting. Well, nothing too surprising except for maybe the site. I'm trying to I'm trying to Google it right now. 
Oh, yeah. Some of the ones, some of the ones actually in the next little uh, pocket of ones, the farewell, which was that one that came out the summer, that was kind of a big hit, and then bombshell, then the two popes, which is getting pretty good Oscar buzz for um, Jonathan Price, which I'm excited about that. Um, so anyway, there's a, there's some interesting ones in the mix for sure, um, but yeah, it's a it's it's kind of a another mixed bag of of possibilities here, you know. Um, so we'll see as as things shake out. There are always a few of them that you know are expected to be a little bit better than they are, and vice versa. There's usually a movie that comes out of nowhere, you know, that is kind of a surprise, which I kind of wonder if. Um, that uh, I'm trying to find it, Harriet. If the Harriet Tubman movie might qualify, is that this year? Yeah, maybe. That's pretty far down on the list right now, but I kind of yeah. wonder if it's. Um... So anyway, speaking, speaking of Cynthia Erivo, have you seen the preview for the new HBO series she's in that's coming out in January? I just heard about it, oh. um, but no, I've not seen the preview. Well, when we get off of here, go watch it immediately. It's so intense and so good. Yeah, it looks amazing. I saw the um, I saw the preview for Watchmen, which HBO is doing. Which um, yeah, 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 it does it. Yeah, this this quickly. Jeremy Irons, it looks like was in it. Um, Regina King, I know, is in it, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so anyway, there's, yeah, uh, as always, they're doing some, uh, some interesting things for sure. Um, cool. All right. I, so. HBO, I almost think HBO has revved up their programming in, in preparation for Disney plus. Yeah, could be. And yeah. Apple plus too, because Apple plus just launched or is just about to launch in November. And I think that might end up being a kind of a big player here too. Hey, just as long as we're on the topic here, um, I'm looking at the best actress. We don't, we won't do this for all the categories or anything, but um, I'm looking at the best actress predicted nominees and uh, the top six right now are Renee Zellweger, number one, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, number two, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, number three, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, number four, Aquafina for The Farewell, number five, and Cynthia Erivo as Harriet uh, Tubman for number six. So that's a pretty, pretty potent group there, too. I'm looking to see real quick if, if Meryl happens to be. So there was a whole thing. This might be a good segue into this movie as well. It's similar yeah. to actually what Tom Hanks um, is listed at. OK, so now she's I'm, I'm looking and uh, Meryl is now listed as the number nine most likely supporting actress for the laundromat and number 11 most uh, likely supporting actress for little women so she's in the mix but with a couple of different projects so that was one of the things that tom hanks and that uh fred rogers movie coming out similar thing where it seemed like a movie that was kind of built around him and all of a sudden they say oh no it's really a supporting role similar with the laundromat and merrill all of a sudden there were these rumors that she was going to be nominated in supporting categories rather than lead and then i saw the movie and i thought how is that possible I, like she's pretty clearly uh, the lead in this movie yes and no i mean it is a good segue i think this is a good a good a good place to start like yes in that the story really begins and ends with her uh-huh no in the sense that man she's she shares screen time with a lot of people she does um 
and that to me was uh, when, I, okay, you know what, this is another, let's just, if this happens to be your first episode, let's just put it out there. I don't know that it's going to be possible to really talk about this movie without some spoilers. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is, we're just going to do a review of this movie. If you don't want to know spoilers, pause us, watch the movie and come back. Um, so one of the things that is surprising is like with the cast, this, with the supporting cast, this wonderful and diverse that there are so many people who are in like one or two scenes. Sharon Stone is in the movie for like three minutes. <laughs> right. It's an awesome scene, but you know, she, she gets that scene and then she's out. David Schwimmer gets two scenes and he's out. Then there are people like there's this tiny little scene where he got Will Forte and Chris Parnell from Saturday Night Live. Each of them probably has five lines of dialogue and they're killed off. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it's it's, really, it's amazing. It's he gets this amazing cast, and uh, it, so that's kind of what I mean. Is like the supporting thing to me seems a little off because I don't know. Antonio Banderas and Gary Oldman keep popping in, but like those are supporting roles to me. And Meryl is very central. She's more central than I kind of expected her to be. Actually, I felt really like this movie revolved around her. So yeah. you didn't necessarily feel that way. I think it did. I think, I mean, honestly, they put you up for supporting or lead actor by virtue of where they think you're going to win. Right. And where they can get away with that. Because obviously if it's like a lead, 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 you know, you can't run right. a Zellweger in, in as Judy <laughs> in the supporting, but like you could run certain roles and get away with it in that this is an ensemble piece for sure. But yeah. She's the biggest of the ensemble, in my opinion. So maybe let's take a step out. And I'm just going to ask, did you like this movie? You know what? I did. I was very entertained. But I, ha I have to say, I didn't read a lot about it going in. I knew generally it was about the Panama Papers. I sort of chose to do it that way. Um, I've enjoyed oh, probably all of Soderbergh's other films in one way or another. Certainly some are stronger than others. Um, I liked it. I was entertained. It got a little heavy-handed. I'll say that. What about you? I liked it. I liked it more than I thought I would, actually. I, I happened to be texting you about something else, something that we were coordinating, and I happened to be about 35 minutes in, and I was like, I really like this movie. It's really good. And um, so I just watched it once just to enjoy the movie. And then I watched it a second time taking notes. You know, I, I tried to like be thorough about it. And I took more notes for this film than I feel like I normally do when we're when we're reviewing these movies. I felt like keeping the story cohesive uh, is kind of important in this one. And it was timeline of the film is important to kind of get correct in terms of how the structure of the movie is is set if mm -hmm. if that makes any sense and um so i wanted to be as accurate as i i could be on that but i really liked the movie i am with you and the i i along with you did not read a ton about it i did read a couple of reviews and a lot of people felt like the ending was not as strong as the beginning. And that I, I thoroughly agree with, with, yeah. with one exception of her ending monologue I absolutely loved. But I felt like there was this chunk in between, let's say, 45 minutes in 
and 10 minutes before the movie that to me didn't work quite as well as the rest of the movie. Sure. I liked the rest of the movie quite a bit. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think, I think I had read one review on a site that I go to regularly and they were pretty critical of it. And so I kind of decided to stop reading there and I, I'm like you, I enjoyed it much more than I thought I would sort of based off of that review. Cause I tend to sort of track my, and my, my sort of viewing of film sort of tracks those reviews that I read on that site. Um, I, I really liked the tone. Okay. The, I liked the, uh, I liked the theatricality of it for, I, I guess we should give a plot synopsis. Should we back up and plot yeah. synopsis this? This yeah, bad boy, people, I'm going to try. Go for it. Um, so the overall subject of the film is the Panama Papers, if you all remember. How many years ago was it? Well, it was the people, we kind of became aware of it in 2016. Okay. That was when the, that was when like the whistleblower the thing happened. Yeah. I, I think there were people who were vaguely aware of things that were happening before that, but I don't think the average American was aware before 2016. So Meryl Streep is playing um, sort of a, your average American retiree, her husband, James Cromwell. They, they're going to, I think they're, they're taking an anniversary trip. They're on a boat in a lake and the boat capsizes. The spoiler alert, if you don't want to know what happens. Well, that's the also five, that's five minutes into the it's movie. Five so minutes it's not in, a, but her it's husband not a dies. Her husband dies and she finds out that the boat company... The boat company also finds this out, that they thought they were insured, but they are, in fact, not, that they've been defrauded. Um, somebody sold them, essentially, a fake insurance policy. And the movie sort of devolves from there. She's, she can't quite let it go, so she starts to investigate and realizes that these companies are fake. Should I add anything else? I mean, I no. feel like that kind of sets up the film, and that's where it goes. Yeah. It's very theatrically where Antonio Banderas and Gary Oldman play the um, the partners of the firm in Panama that the, the, the Panama Papers were leaked from. And they narrate the entire film and step in and out, explaining money concepts and uh, U.S. tax concepts to the audience to make it a little more understandable and palatable and are also incredibly entertaining. Yeah, they are essentially the Greek chorus of the movie, but they're also like, they are also very key factors in the actual story as well, which is kind of a unique, you don't always see that happen where, you know, if there's a Greek chorus aspect, they're not always like the central figure in the actual events. You know, that's kind of unusual. How did you feel about so much speaking directly to the camera, like breaking the fourth wall? Were you into that? I guess so. I mean, you've been talking about how you kind of liked the the overall feel of this movie. I think the only reason that I can say that I liked it is because he established it strongly from the beginning. Sure. Like, I knew exactly what I was getting. He managed my expectations really well. I think he faced a problem. The Panama Papers and all... It wasn't just a single incident. I mean, those papers exposed so much wrongdoing on so many fronts all over the world. That's really hard to distill into an hour. What, the film ran an hour and a half? Yeah, it was a pretty quick, tight movie. Quick. 
Yeah, really tight. And some of the concepts were so heady that I think the way he chose to address it with that narration to kind of break it down. Oh, God, that unless you were going to make the next like Syriana, like you kind of had to. I don't know how I don't know how else he could do it. Right. I so I I mentioned this to you privately. I don't know if I mentioned this during the podcast. Um, There are several people who listen to our show who've recently added me on Facebook and, you know, kind of will send me messages at various points about, you know, I saw this Meryl thing. I saw this Meryl thing. And so there I heard from a few of them as as this movie was coming out. And one in particular, um, I won't mention his name just in case he didn't want me talking about this, but he said he'd been, he had mentioned a while ago that he wasn't particularly excited about this movie. And, and one of the reasons that he said um, that he wasn't all that excited was he felt like it might be too smart and that it might be kind of like too sophisticated dialogue. You know, he didn't know what the Panama papers were and he thought it would just be kind of like a very heady movie where unless you were like, into that whole story and like an investment banker, it just would be too complicated. And then this movie actually starts and they spend the first couple minutes of this movie literally talking about how money came to be using this example of like, it's like, you know, giving somebody a banana, you know, (laughs) in caveman times. And, you know, then there's this paper version of this banana that's, you know, the equivalent of, you know, it, like a very simplistic um, explanation of like what money is. And I, at when that started, I was like, okay, so they're definitely trying to keep this user friendly here. But there were times when it got a little bit heady too, you know, like there definitely were moments where it was a little bit convoluted and a little bit hard to follow, you know, and like I said, I was taking notes and and being pretty present with this movie. So um, it it walks an interesting line for sure. Yeah. I mean, the entire segment with Matthias Schoenhart, you're like, wait, what? Say what? Who? Huh? (laughs) Um, But I, I think there, there are sort of these sidebars with these different people who had their hand in, in, in the in the money pot, so to speak, um, that I think were ultimately part of the scheme and part of the papers. And I, it was almost like a sampling. Right. It felt like it felt like a buffet for the Panama Papers. It was like, let me show you some very quirky, ridiculous vignettes of the people who were involved with this ridiculous situation and then it i mean honestly it really did turn into oh just a fierce um commentary on the united states yeah so the movie is structured as five secrets and i actually also wanted to mention that like the first thing that you see on the screen is you know the title and then it says based on actual secrets which i thought was kind of a you know (laughs) we've seen based on actual events or based on a true story but i don't know excuse me i don't know if i've ever seen based on actual secrets before or something quite like that it's awesome yeah so the first secret is the meek are screwed and this is where basically the the stuff happens to to Meryl and and her family. And she's, you know, like she loses her husband. There are 21 other, ooh, 20 other people. I think it was 21, including him, um, yeah. who die on this boat. And 
you know, they don't get fairly compensated at all. So that's kind of the, the point there. And we, you kind of walked us through that, what happens there yeah. with the, with the company. So I did not, ex I knew James Cromwell was in this movie. He's another one who like is in there for about four minutes and then he's out, you know, it's really quick for him and his role. But, uh, I, I kind of liked their relationship. Meryl was definitely playing older than she is. She's playing, you know, it felt like, I don't know, what do you think, five, ten years older than she is? She's 70, 70 or 71 now? She's I 70, think. I think. I think she's 72, yeah. yeah so I don't think I she was playing 80. Playing, but I, yeah, maybe somewhere around there. Yeah. So... Playing, playing a little bit older, you know, her husband in particular, you know, was kind of needing a lot of assistance. And that was, that was kind of the thing is, so they're on this boat ride, which is in uh, Niagara Falls. And it was, they, I think that's where they went on their honeymoon, if I remember correctly. And so they were kind of redoing this trip. And it was, um, as they mentioned in the movie, he was going to give her a, I don't know if it was a pin or a ring. I think it was a ruby pin or a ring or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so this is what this is where they've gone on their honeymoon. So they were basically redoing this trip with a couple of friends. And so the boat, the actual capsizing of the boat was kind of done in an interesting way. I it doesn't look like the kind of accident that would cause 21 people to die to me. Did you get any sense of that? Like, it seemed like a fairly minor, like not inconsequential, but it seemed like not that bad of a boat accident actually to me. People should have been able to swim out and weren't able to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Except that sort of pontoon boat, you flip it over and people are panicking. And especially if you have old people who can't, or people who can't swim, People have physical disabilities. I'm su uh, I'm surprised it was just 20. Interesting. Okay. That's interesting that we have different. Yeah. I mean, my first instinct was, why doesn't everybody just swim out? Right. <laughs> and then you think about the panic. I think part of the impression that it wasn't that bad is that there's that shot on Meryl Streep where her eyes are open and she's just looking at the scene, taking it in, super calm. And I'm like, um, I think people die because they don't know which way is up. And, sure. kept, and they don't know which way is out. And that scene definitely doesn't capture that. You are correct. Right. Well, and it doesn't seem part of it too, from my perspective was there, well, kind of two things actually. One is it seemed the way it was filmed perhaps like what mm -hmm. actually might've killed him was like getting hit on the head or something, because it's not like they were underwater for so long a time that he drowned and couldn't find his way up. He was already down like yeah. pretty much way. And, but that's the other thing is if 21 people died, where are those other 21 bodies? There was very clearly like one body down and like the 20 other people died after we saw that one person down. Yeah. 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 And that's, You're right. that, that's for the viewer, you know, so that we can see, oh, this is her husband. Right. Um, you know, and that's what that's what the underwater shot. I was trying to think if because I don't even think in the River Wild, I don't think there was ever an underwater shot of Meryl. I was trying to, uh, you know, I don't. Know I if thought, man, you're a badass. You're seven years old and you're doing an underwater shot. I know. I had Go that same me. thought. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if we've ever seen an underwater shot of her before. Um, no? But anyway, uh, so you know, we see her see his body, and um, you know, that's kind of a, a communicative thing there in in her thing. So it cuts from that scene to her talking with her lawyer, and this is where he's you know just explaining everything that's happening. And then David Schwimmer, I guess we don't have to run through like every scene in this whole thing, but um, David Schwimmer and Robert Patrick, who is the guy who played the boat captain, that was a kind of a nice little cameo too, <laughs> Robert yeah. Patrick. Yeah. Uh, kind of starting to figure out that they're screwed. Um, and then we get introduced to Jeffrey Wright's character. So Jeffrey Wright plays Irvin Bonkamper, who is essentially the one who's screwed over everybody. He's the one that set up a, a shell company that I think his is the one. They give a couple of different figures throughout the movie in relationship to different companies. But I think they said his company, um, he had something like 240,000 offshore companies, foundations and trusts that he had set up. And they were all essentially at one address. So there was all this different mail and all of this different stuff going to one address that was the record on file for 240,000 offshore companies, foundations, and trusts. That's bonkers. It's total bonkers. I mean, how that is, they, they cut to an actual press conference that Obama had, you know, when this, when this happened. And, you know, part of it is like, as, as he very eloquently spoke, that is part of the problem here is this is legal. Like, it's not illegal anyway. It's, it's clearly shady. But yeah. it, like you can defend it using the law. And that is the biggest problem of all is the law is set up in a way to help protect people who put together really fraudulent companies like this. And we would like this is the this is the most frustrating thing is like this is one that went down. But there are a lot more exactly like this company out there today that we don't even know about. You know, it's nuts. Yeah. People do it all the time. Yeah. Rich people. Yeah. Secret number two was it's just shells. This is probably my favorite sequence in the in the film, actually. Um, this is a scene where Meryl and her daughter, who's played by Melissa Rauch, I think is her name. She's from The Big Bang Theory and a couple other things. And uh, I think she's from that show. I might be wrong. It's that or How I Met Your Mother or one of those shows. I, I've never watched it. But I know who she is because I've seen her in a couple other things. Okay. Um. So let's see the scene with her, her daughter and her grandkids Yeah. as Meryl is attempting to buy basically a, a penthouse in Las Vegas that overlooks um, the corner where she first met James Cromwell, her husband. Can, can I interject there? Do you yeah. not think that was the strangest, the strangest location for shooting? So that penthouse she's going to buy is, like, really, truly the weirdest looking place. It is strange, like, yeah. It looked circular. Yep. And then right in the front door, there appeared to be a closet with a giant jacuzzi bathtub. But oh, it was not a bathroom. It was just a jacuzzi tub right off the door. Huh. <laughs> and then there was that weird hotel carpet. And I... And so I got very confused. I had to rewind the scene because I thought I've missed something. She's buying a hotel conference space. Like what, why is there a jacuzzi tub in there? Like I was so confused. 
I definitely thought it was a hotel space too. I thought it was a hotel room that they were like on a trip somewhere. It took a while yeah. for me to figure out that she was trying to buy the place. I'm wondering if that was a location thing. Well, and she, you know, she mentions to the grandkids um, that there is a pool on the roof, which I know in Vegas is probably not anything out of the ordinary. But, you know, um, yeah, it seems like it's a very, it's set up as very much a, you know, um, nostalgic purchase for her. She buys it or she attempts to purchase it for the sole reason that you know that she can see the corner where she first met her husband and that's it it doesn't seem like a place where she would actually want to be and be happy this 70 something year old woman by herself in las vegas just doesn't seem practical yeah no it seemed like a really terrible purchase yeah but the good news perhaps is that she's not allowed to make the purchase because in comes sharon stone as her real estate agent for a like Sharon Stone is I'll like copy what I said about Renee Zellweger like I've seen her in some things in particular Casino she's amazing in Casino um, and she's capable of giving great performances she's maybe another one who's had some interesting choices <laughs> throughout her career probably not entirely of her own fault you know at some point if you want to work you have to take what you're offered and I don't know that she's been offered the greatest projects um sidebar when she was really young she did i want to say a film or two with richard chamberlain called king solomon's minds okay that are a spoof on indiana jones oh (laughs) they're priceless (laughs) i highly recommend you go track down and watch it okay that's my Sharon Stone bit. <laughs> she, I love her scene in particular, her complete, it. she looks at Meryl's grandchildren as if she's never seen children before. She looks at these children as if she doesn't understand what these things are that, you know, are just trying to say hello to her. It is so, like, the disdain she has for the children for no reason whatsoever, to me, was really funny. And funny. It was, you know, she is so, like, it really is, like, you know, it's a kind of caricature part, really, but, like, she really is, like, the worst real estate agent that has ever been. I mean, like, it becomes very obvious that she has kind of taken this place from Merrill and sold it to somebody else who was willing to pay twice as much in cash as well as two other additional units and then knock them down and put them together. So she sold out, you know, her client, this elderly woman, she knowingly sold her out and, you know, like really kind of a, kind of a shitty human being, you know, but a fun I didn't recognize her at first. It took me a minute. Oh, I recognized her immediately. I knew as soon as she walked in the room who she was, but she, yeah, that's such a great performance for such a tiny little role. And I know she worked with Steven Soderbergh on a, a TV show called Mosaic, um, which I can't remember if that was for HBO or... Showtime mosaic was so confusing. It's not that old. It was only a year or two ago. It was so confusing. I had no idea what the hell was going on throughout the entire thing. It was just so confusing to me. It was I eventually gave up because I just was like, I don't know who this person is. I don't know what's happening. It's just so strange and so confounding. 
Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, clearly he, they were, you know, they had a good working relationship. And so, you know, you know, that happens. I loved Meryl's interactions with her grandkids too. This is something that between Big Little Lies and this movie, we're starting to see now more and more as Meryl with the grandkids. And it's kind of awesome. Yeah, I loved, one thing I really loved about her performance in this film was her walk. Mm -hmm. She... She's just, I mean, obviously we have a Meryl Streep podcast because we think she's brilliant, but she really is brilliant, people. Like, watch this movie just to see her development of a character because it is all there. Right. Um, This is also the sequence in the movie that had, for me, the biggest surprise. And uh, this relates to the the previous episode that we put up. I interviewed Erin Carlson, who, who wrote a book about Meryl. And I don't remember if her and I talked about this during the making of the podcast, or I mean, like while we were recording, or if we just, we talked additionally for, basically we talked for so long that I had to like take out half of what we talked about because we just talked for so long. Um, But one of the things that I think was in her book and we talked about as well was in the movie, The River Wild, kind of backtracking, um, the, when the movie came out, the, the poster had Meryl Streep holding a gun which is really such a small part of the River Wild. And she strongly objected, objected to that. And I think was successful in getting them to, to, to use a different image for the poster. She didn't want that to be the thing. So in this movie, there is a fantasy sequence in which Meryl storms into a company and starts blowing people away with this, like, you know, <laughs> AR-15 or I don't know what the hell the thing it's is. A, it's like a sawed-off shotgun. Is it? Okay. It's a shotgun. Yeah, it's a sawed-off shotgun. It's a double-barrel shot-off shotgun. <laughs> okay, you know how I you know how I love my guns. I had no <laughs> idea what the hell it was. Uh, um, no, it's the trippiest scene in the planet because, you know, first of all, you can't imagine Meryl Streep ever doing anything like that. But then she right. commits to it so fully. I know that you believe that she's doing it and it's a very trippy moment where you're like whoa she is a badass in that moment like i believed she was capable of doing that and but it kind of goes against i mean like she's she's these days more outspoken than ever and this is so something that she would not i found it an interesting choice you know i mean like it's a movie it's not her so like we need to rep you know we need to be able to distinguish between art and the artist i get all of that but you know like it seemed like an interesting choice to me did did that thought occur to you at all it did because it's a dream sequence which means it didn't play a part in moving the plot along it was really about showing that this woman had a lot of anger and frustration and sort of hopelessness about her husband's death but there are other ways to to sort of get that across i mean i think ultimately that moment is supposed to be comedic which feels a little icky i'm surprised i think i'm i'm surprised she didn't advocate to have that removed or changed or maybe she did right and they ultimately settled on on it i mean ultimately it's a dream sequence and the character didn't follow through on it and i don't think i don't think meryl streep's advocating gun violence on the contrary um uh but yeah it, it felt very uncomfortable to me and maybe that was the point i don't know it might have been yeah that's a good that's actually a good idea um it to me 
it I, again i actually don't necessarily object to the scene i know it kind of i think i probably just made it sound like i did object to it um, i was just so surprised by it and again it was more like i'm surprised she did it you know kind of thing rather than i'm offended by this and i don't think that's necessarily what you're saying either but um yeah but one of the things um that to me was interesting about it is there's no other scene like it in the movie you know what i mean like it is a one off there's no other like fantasy sequence. There's no other dream sequence. This is a one, like no pun intended. It's a one shot thing in this movie that is just like, it kind of comes out of nowhere. And maybe it is meant to startle. Maybe it is meant to demonstrate like something about the idea that we're all closer to that edge than we want to think or something, you know, maybe there's something in this that we're supposed to be thinking about, but um yeah, it would, to me, that's just one of the things in the movie worth discussing is this kind of left field Meryl Streep shooting up an, an office space. You know, part of it, too, not to dwell on this too long. I'm, I think I'm I think I'm making too much out of this. But, you know, it's she walks in. I'm not not walk. She, you know, like she moves very quickly into the space and the people she's shooting at are the front desk staff. She's shooting at women who are acting as essentially secretaries. You know, that is kind of the thing. It's the yeah. innocent people that she's taking out rather than, you know, the people who are actually, well, maybe they are, maybe, you know, maybe that's my interpretation of it was the front desk staff are not the guilty ones. Maybe they're just as guilty as anybody else. But. I mean, ultimately, I think it was an unnecessary scene that sure. showed gratuitous violence. Um, I'm not like, like you, I'm not horrified by it or offended by it per se. Although I'm not sure it, I think it was a little tone deaf giving the number of mass shootings we have in the United States, or perhaps right. that's what he was trying to get at. And it just didn't work very well. Right. It did, it did seem like, uh, a moment that like if this, I, I know it had a very limited run in theaters, kind of what you were talking about earlier with The Irishman. You know, this did play in some theaters before of the Netflix bow and so that it can qualify for awards stuff. Um, but this is not a movie that's playing in your average movie theater. And so this seems like the kind of sequence that, you know, if there had been a trailer that was out there that people saw, and there was a trailer, but if there had been like a kind of wide release trailer, this probably would have been all over that, you know, and it seemed like almost made for that kind of thing rather than the movie. It just felt like it stuck out. The only other real thing of, I would say, violence, and it's it's not violent, but it was kind of shocking in another way, was when um, the woman who played the director of some companies in Panama. She was the director of, I think it said 25,000 different companies when she's electrocuted. So basically a, a bus runs off yeah. the road, runs into a, um, a power, a, a, like a pole and knocks it down. And she's happens to be walking and is electrocuted by, um, by the power lines. Yeah. And that to me was another kind of like almost, I don't know. It was, it was pretty gruesome that death, yeah. but also, not in a, not in a look what we can do kind of way. It's a more of like, you know, that could happen. Like it was a kind of, it looked pretty realistic to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, it was also a little shocking. I think, I don't know. I think some of those moments that were intended at humor, violence as humor is, 
I think, losing a little bit of traction. And um, granted, her death is accidental, but it does have a violence to it. Right. And I, th- I think people are getting more sensitive to that. I just don't. It's not very funny. <laughs> right. But it's done in sort of a comedic way that makes you go, meh, meh. Right. I mean, it matches the tone of the film for sure, but felt feels a little heartless in the process. But I, I, actually, I guess that's the point, right? It's like yeah. this woman. This woman is what the the head of a zillion different shell companies and the ripple effect of her death. I don't know. I do want to ask your opinion because I see. So I only watched the movie once. Um, you've watched it twice. I really want your input on Meryl Streep playing the second character. Yep. That was the next thing that was, I, I'm right with you because this is actually the last thing that happens in this, in this sequence is the introduction of the other Meryl Streep character. Yeah. I was actually gonna, I was going to defer to you to see how you felt about it too. It's complicated. This is a, uh, it's, it's very complicated. Yeah, she's very well disguised. You don't recognize her at first. You really recognize her voice. Yes. But she's speaking, she's speaking with a South American accent yep. of some kind. She's highly disguised. I would say in a somewhat stereotypical way. And which isn't necessarily a good thing. And then I guess here's the deal. Meryl Streep is playing essentially a Latinx character. Right. Um, you know, we're really at a point in time where that's not a great idea. And especially when there are so many Latinx actors out there. I do think there was a purpose behind it clearly at the end. Yes. And spoiler alert, everybody, at the very end, this, this, um, I'm going to say she's Panamanian because she's in Panama. I don't know if she's yes. in Disney. I th- I think is talking to the audience. She takes off her disguise to reveal the American senior citizen character that Meryl Streep's been playing, who then disrobes to just Meryl Streep to talk to the camera. And there's an implication that she is John Doe. Yes, I think it's explicit that she is John Joe. Yeah. But then there's an implication that it was this American woman in disguise who was actually, in fact, John Doe. I don't know. I'm not sure what they were getting at. You tell me what you think they were getting at. Yeah. So I, okay, I think you were the first one to say, you know, a couple months ago, you were like, hey, I'm hearing things about this, that she's playing, you know, this thing. And then I started hearing it from other people. And there was kind of a lot of concern that this was not a very sensitive move. Um, A a few weeks ago, I discovered, I think I told you this, that um, I just happened to look at our um, Gmail, the Meryl Streep podcast Gmail email, and noticed that there were a bunch of emails from like a year ago that I missed. There were like six or seven or eight emails from people. And so I've been trying to get back to people, you know, and just apologize and say, I'm so sorry I missed this, you know, and hope you're still listening and whatever. And uh, somebody wrote me back right away and was like, hey, I'm hearing things about this other character. And they said, you know, I don't know. She seems like such an evolved person. I don't think she would do this unless there was a like really specific reason. And to me, I, I feel like, first of all, I'm really not the person to like comment on this. You know what I mean? However, you and I also host a 
podcast about Meryl Streep, so it's the kind of thing that, like, we have to talk about, you know? Basically, what I mean by that is, like, if I'm not offended by this, that doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't have a right to be offended by it. You know, like, you, you know, it is, it is what it is. I'm not, I'm not the person who's, um, who's being portrayed in any way here. So it's kind of hard to, to put yourself in that position and say, how would you feel? Um, I'm inclined to believe that this was made with the intention of, you know, like the reason for it was, to take one layer off and see this other person and take another layer off and see this other person. And in order for us to get there, we needed to start from somewhere that was very far away from the actual Meryl Streep because she is portrayed as Meryl Streep at the end of this movie, not an actress, not, not a character, but as an actress, Meryl Streep. And so it seems to me in order to get there effectively you might need to start from somewhere else and think, you know, like it is perhaps an acceptable choice to think what is as far away from Meryl Streep as exists. And then to think, okay, now how can we, how can we find a way within this story to have somebody who's far away from Meryl Streep? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think it was the way of, of keeping, um, the original story of the film, which is this, you know, 80 something year old woman's husband dying and her experience and her story. It was a way of sort of tying the whole film together. And it also gave this sense of retribution that this woman was able to have some power that she really was in the John Doe and so many other people who were victimized by uh, those people also were sort of in the John Doe, whoever John Doe was. And I think that's what the message was. Right. And visually, they accomplished that by having her play those characters. And there was no way. I mean, that character really was a construct. I mean, there was no way you could cast an actual, um, you know, Central American or or um, South American actor and keep the story the way you had it, right? I, or he would have to have found a different way to like sort of tie everybody collectively into that John Doe. So I get I get why they did it. I do. I think the problem is the reason why they did it isn't apparent until the very end of the movie when right. probably people are already offended. Right. And there is, uh, I don't know, I felt like uh, Aaron and I kind of got off on a, a long tangent on the, like Trump culture and all of that in the last oh, one. So I, kinda, I don't want to particularly go down this road again. However, Meryl Streep at this point kind of has a target on her back for the Harvey Weinstein stuff, for the Donald Trump stuff. Like she is somebody who's been outspoken and the people who don't like what she's had to say are looking for any reason to look at her and say, oh, look at this awful thing that she's doing. And I think there's some of that at play here. And I think that there is um, a lot of people who want, who who really want to see her as somebody who's kind of fucked up and who is, who's done something insensitive so that they can kind of, you know, I, I don't know, I might be projecting on that one, but I think that there is an element of, 
I think that's where the backlash is coming from is people who want to see her as uh, somebody who's been spouting off against other people and to be able to look at her and say, you're not perfect either. And here's why. Could be true. I mean, I think the other thing is also, you know, Meryl Streep has some sound bites that aren't incredibly in tune with the current dialogue around women's issues or, um, you know, what have you. My God, like everybody just cut everybody a little bit of slack. First of all, I really do believe this, that like Meryl Streep is of a generation where actors played everything and everyone. Yeah. And that is changing now because it's it's a changing trend in how we choose to portray people on film. Part of that is about diversity and equality. Part of it is because we're looking to be more authentic. Right. Uh, on and we want to open up doors to um, to actors who don't normally have doors opened up to them, and they should. Um, I just think she comes from a different generation. I'm, I'm not sure she thought twice about it. She, she spent her life disguising herself as other people. Why right. not? Why not? Yeah, I guess that is the question. Is that that to me would be the interesting thing? And I don't know that if people interviewed Meryl, I'm not sure how um, how open she would be about discussing this. I would think maybe she would be, but I don't know um, about what you just said about whether or not she did have some reservations about this, whether there was a moment when she was putting on that disguise and, and, and taking on that accent where it felt like maybe not the right choice or if it didn't, maybe she approached it the same way that she approached Sophie and uh, you know, Lindy Chamberlain where like the focus was on getting the accent authentic rather than, is this something that I should be doing, you know? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Who knows? The interesting thing is, is that I, you know, I've read one review that addressed it, but but sort of very politely. And then I told you about it. I haven't read a lot of other um, sort of kickback on that. Have you? Has it become a thing? I mean, I feel like, I'm surprised that people have been so quiet about it, to be perfectly honest. It's not I don't a, know if it's Meryl Streep and Steven Soderbergh or what. It's not a big thing. Um, if you go looking for it, there is quite a bit of stuff out there. But yeah. it's not in the general. It was, let me tell you how I, how I came about it. When that, it's that first scene, which is actually, it's kind of interesting because it's a Meryl Streep as the older lady, I forget her name, um, Meryl Streep as the old lady calling the insurance company and speaking to the other Meryl Streep will call her on the phone. So it's a Meryl to Meryl conversation. And in that scene, it's exactly what you said. I recognized her voice and I thought, that's Meryl. But yeah. I wasn't positive it was. And so I looked it up and I said, does Meryl Streep have, does she play two roles in the laundromat? And yeah, there are a lot of people who are upset about, I mean, you know, within, within kind of a range, again, there's nobody calling for, for boycotts or anything like that. Nobody's saying that this movie shouldn't be in existence or anything like that. But what I'm seeing is a little bit of that if you go looking for her. So let me ask a question. Do you think, I think actually you kind of already addressed this a little bit. Do you think this movie could have functioned 
with that character being played by by somebody else because here's here's my other thing is did this move did that role need to be played by Meryl Streep and with some context like the movie was almost portrayed as you know Meryl Streep this elderly woman goes to find goes to like solve the Panama Papers thing but that's not actually yeah. how this movie plays out. Meryl, the old, nope. the old lady, doesn't really have. Uh, she's not the one who she maybe sets some wheels in motion, but she is not the one who makes this happen. It's the other character that she plays that is. So could they have been played by two different actors? I think they could have. I think that you would have had. They would have had to rethink that ending. Right. Um, I honestly thought. Um, I'm not sure the end really works. Really? I mean, I'm on board. Here's the deal. I'm on board with with um, Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas talking to the camera because they are our narrators. But Meryl Streep has not narrated to us. She is not a narrator. She's not a Greek chorus. And I like it it works thematically. I just kind of felt like, like it was gimmicky. I was like, really? That's where you're taking this? Really? I, mean, I, I like the message fine, but I, it was, it was a little, so Meryl Streep is revealing herself as an, um, not as a character in any film. And she's essentially telling me an agenda. And I happen to be on board with that agenda, but right. not everybody is going to be. And then there are some people, listen, I'm not advocating either way. I'm just saying there are people that might watch that film that might not necessarily agree politically with the subtle message. But by the end, it's so, it's so forceful and in your face that anyone who's walking any kind of moderate line is going to be like, whoa. Okay. See, this is the thing that is really surprising to me because uh, okay I, I looked at um uh, one of our kind of newish segments that we have we've only done once or twice is like the the amazon or imdb reviews that are kind of funny because they kind of you know for one reason or another and there are several reviews where again there again i think the reason that i feel like people are gunning for meryl is because of reviews like this where people say things like oh meryl streep had to insert her politics First of all, as if she wrote this fucking movie. So let's take a step back on that one. But second of all. Um, yeah, she clearly, I mean, she's clearly on board with them, though. Yes. If she's going to speak the words as herself. But and actually, I don't even have a problem with the words. It was actually, you know, it was a step too far for me. The Statue of Liberty. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> well, I was curious about that. I was curious about that as well, actually, that the last I, I'm not so sure that I love the last image of this movie. However, the yeah. um, are, are I mean, are we suggesting that this is a Republican versus Democrat issue that the, that Republicans are going to say, like, I think it's totally fine that there are companies, fake companies that shell out two hundred and eighty five thousand other fake companies in order to defraud people. I'm sorry if there are people who are offended by that. Fuck off. Like, I'm That's not interested. Very specific. Well, I think what would actually be said is this is advocating for for 
tax reform in the form of socialist tax reform. And I don't think they would necessarily say that shell companies are a good thing, um, but that working within the boundaries of the law is actually legal and fine. So, yeah, I do. I mean, I don't think it should split between party lines because, honestly, I think this is a moral issue. It should be. It should be, but it is split between party lines. Like, let's be real. Oof. That's, I, no, I, I don't mean any of this, obviously, at you. You know that, but like. Yeah. I hadn't considered that. I I thought it was just funny when I read these reviews and, and said, oh, you know, saw people were saying, oh, Meryl is inserting her politics again. Because if these are the kinds of politics that are causing divisions, like, do we have any hope? Is there any hope? for us getting along ever again, if you are, if anybody out there is standing up and saying, I think this is okay. I don't like, I I don't know how to have a conversation with that person. I don't think we're speaking the same language. And I don't think that movies being made about this. See, now I'm getting worked up just like I was last week with the Trump thing, but seriously, like (laughs) this thing, this pisses me off that we are now at a point where we can expose this kind of corruption and people's first impulse is to say, how dare they talk about this like borderline political thing? That's nuts well, to me. What's interesting is I think that they're, I think there's a, I think they distinguish. So anybody looks at the Panama Papers situation and says, oh, the corruption. And I think that you would get a universal response like that. But then the message at the end is actual, actually a call to action right? For, for, for major tax reform that while it might do the good of preventing shell corporations also affects major money-making corporations in the United States. It affects capitalism to the like, nth degree. Right. And so you are actually you are actually polarizing your audience when you say something like that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. They obviously, they committed to it and they went for it. Yeah. And I could see but things. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Your audience to the film for sure. Because I think you'd have more, you, they would have more people on board up to that point, I think. Yeah. I think, I mean, what you're saying makes sense and it's, um, it, it just bums me out that, that like that that's where we're at. But I guess that's on me, you know? Yeah. Um, I can see how there are a couple, um, I've kind of come to not be a fan of, of the term trigger. (laughs) I think there's some things caught up in that, but, um, I could see Meryl Streep referring to elites as being somewhat triggering for people. You know what I mean? Like that was, that was their argument when she made the anti-Trump, um, you know, Golden Globes speech was, oh, she's one of the elite. She's, you know, one of the New York elite. How dare she? First of all, again, as if Trump isn't, but that's like not something they can consider. So we'll move on from that. But um, it's I could see how her using that language. And I think I'm obviously paraphrasing because I didn't write it down. But, you know, she talks about how the elite that are standing up uh, or the the elites that we need to fight back against are the ones who are the ones who stand to gain the most. Um, and, you know, she makes a lot of money. 
So you could argue that she is one of the people that she's talking about. But obviously by taking a stand, she's taking a moral stand and saying, yeah, I make a lot of money, but I'm not, you know, I, I'm not for this. And um, I don't know. She's putting her money where her mouth is, and she has been for a long time, it seems to me. Um, it's just such a complicated little thing. Honestly, like I am a 100% advocate of having said all of that. I'm a 100% advocate of any actor or filmmaker standing up and using their voice how they see fit. Yep. And um, whether I agree with it or not, because that's the country we live in. That's a right we're entitled to. And that's how ideas get spread. And you know what? Sometimes you do change people's minds. And it may not be often in our polarizing time. But it does happen. Right. So, I mean, go for it. There is, uh, you know, the same people that are going to say they hate this movie for Meryl speaking out are going to be the ones that say Clint Eastwood is brave for the movie he's got coming out in a couple months that portray, I mean, like, I don't know, I can't remember exactly what that new movie of his is about, but he's portraying some, you know, another, he's he's quite Republican. He's portraying some, you know, right-wing person as a hero in his movie, like, all of a sudden, when it's when the shoe is on the other foot, it's going to be how brave of Clint Eastwood to go against the grain. Well, it's also true for Meryl then. Like, it doesn't work, you know. Basically, don't be a hypocrite, you know. I, I'll probably see that Clint Eastwood movie because I like his movies. And I think he's a great director. And I like his movies when he's acting in them, too. I don't shut my mind off to, you know to say, oh, when Tim Allen is making one of his things, I can't listen to it, you know? It's, you can be open. You can be open and you can hear what the other side has to say. Doesn't mean you have to agree with it. But, you know, if you're gonna call one side out for one thing, be consistent about it, is what it comes down to, you know? I I don't know, this is... It's, yeah, it's it's just a really, we're, we're, God, guys, end of times. It might be. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting time to be alive. That's for sure. (sighs) It really is. It's really quite terrifying. We, uh, we're alive during, you know, we're, we're on the planet at the same time as Meryl Streep. And that's an amazing thing. That is an amazing thing. Bringing it back. (laughs) I mean, you know, and the in the millions of years that this planet has been here, you know, to be on this planet with her at the same time is kind of an amazing thing. You can feel that way about your heroes. I feel that way about Joni Mitchell, obviously, too. I have a podcast about her. Yeah. Somebody said, the well, a uh, singer-songwriter named Brandy Carlisle said the other day, you know, we didn't live in the in the time of, of Rembrandt and I can't remember the, I think maybe Einstein was the other example she used, but we lived here at the same time as Joni Mitchell. And that's an amazing thing. That's so true. That's so great. I love it. But yeah, there are so many good things happening in the world right now. Uh, we got to focus on them Yeah. because otherwise you get very hopeless. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just want to comment that I loved her monologue so much i'm with you in the like it it was an interesting choice and i because i loved her performance in it so much i think i was and and i you know i agreed so heartily with what she had to say i it didn't occur to me that like that was going to be so alienating for other people and i just straight up loved it 
Um, I'm with you. I felt like the Statue of Liberty thing was a little bit much, maybe. I, I wasn't so keen on that, like, final image. Yeah. No, me either. I actually really loved her speech, too, in the content and was totally on board. I think it's because... I, I, I don't know if it's because I spent so, so much time with people on the other side of the fence. I was like, ooh, ooh, this is not going to go over well. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I, is, isn't what that, I think that's the point. Yeah. And I guess I don't spend enough time with people on the other side because it didn't occur to me that that was going to offend people. As as I've now made abundantly clear, I did not think this was something that like would cause distress between like Democrats versus Republicans. And I think it's kind of pathetic if it does, if I may be so bold. Hopefully whoever on your side um, is whoever whoever you're close with that might align uh, on the other side of the the political spectrum, whoever among you is is listening to yeah. this podcast, I hope you're not offended by what I'm saying. <laughs> but holy cow, like what a what a what a strange uh, what a strange thing to hang your hat on, you know? Like what a what a strange and really sad thing to like plant your flag on and say, I think this is okay, you know. And it's so often the people who are hurt Honestly, the most. I think people turn off their ears and they're not listening to the substance of what's being said. They feel that they're being lectured at. Okay, and, I could see that. I could see yeah, that. Yeah, and I do. I think people stop listening, truly. Um, and I, I think that's really the problem is there's, a, there's already a preconceived notion going in. Sure. And um, I don't, like, I. it wasn't, It. you know what? It wasn't bad until they, they put put the punctuation at the end with the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> because what I, what I got from it, listen, I was not, I was not offended. Let's make that very clear. Like I'm on board with the message. Um, but I think that Statue of Liberty image sent a message that, that people who embrace that call to arms and that message care about America and that the people who don't believe in such extensive tax reform or who are corporate America don't equally support America. They honestly do. It's just in a completely different way. And it's an entirely different world that we don't agree with. Like, like it's really, it's a difference. It's a difference of basically ideology, capitalism versus something else. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm talking like laissez-faire capitalism. Um, and like, I am no expert in any of this. And if I say anything that seems off or ridiculous to any of our listeners, feel free to email and and you know let let me know where i've gone as, gone gone astray yeah well that's one thing that um i feel like i you know again there were a bunch of emails that i had missed but i as far as i know i'm up to date and i don't think we've ever gotten one that was you know talking about us being off on our pol you know we've never gotten hate mail based on i've i've gone off the deep end too many times as far as all of this <laughs> stuff goes. I'm surprised that people who agree don't write me, you know, at this point and say, okay, we get it, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> you really don't do it that often. You probably think you do it more than you do. Maybe. We've only I, seen 
We've only done it a handful of times. Well, we did right after, I think it was actually our, our first episode, maybe. It was right after, or no, it was maybe our second, because I think beforehand, we had done one right before she won the Golden Globe, where she did the big, you know, like, hey, everybody, speech at the yeah. Golden Globes. Um, I think it was the second one, the second episode way back when. But um, anyway, um, yeah, MeryllStreetPodcast at gmail.com. I will read it and hopefully respond to it. Um, You know, if I if I don't respond, it's because I haven't seen it for whatever reason. But I think I I think I know what's happening with it now. So anyway, um, yeah, I I loved that last thing. I I think also, you know, at, at a more like basic level, it's we don't get to see Meryl delivering like long monologues like that. And this was a pretty creative yeah. one, you know, like she was yeah. transforming characters throughout it. It was almost like this mini one woman show kind of thing. And I loved that. Yeah. She's just so good. I love the moment when she actually sees, I think she's in a bar somewhere or in a lounge and she's seeing on the news about the Panama papers. Right. And she just has this look of utter disbelief and humor and excitement on her face. And then there's this moment where she just looks around to see if if there's anyone to sort of share the enjoyment with. And there's like no one there, obviously. She's so spectacular. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of, you know, in the same movie. Think about it like. I, what I what we were just talking about was this. I don't know. How long do you think that speech is? Three, four minutes? Something like that, maybe? It didn't maybe. seem longer than that. You know, it might have been shorter than that. Two minutes. Yeah, I would say like two minutes. Okay, so like monologue versus yeah. in that scene that you were just describing, she doesn't say a word. It's silent actor. Yeah. And to have that within 10 minutes or 15 minutes of, you know, each other and be so effective at both. I mean, it speaks to who she, you know, who she is as an actress and like who she is and her power. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. I also, she did make me laugh out loud when she was playing the assistant in Panama and she's on the phone with herself. Yeah. And she finds out she's gotten a promotion and she hangs up on Meryl Streep. Right. I did. I laughed out loud. I was like, what is happening? (laughs) Um, let's segue into, uh, we've probably talked about it, but any, any like other favorite scenes or moments that you want to mention? I really enjoyed her sort of, it's a monologue in her head. She's sitting in the church and she's praying about, you know, the meek and she's like, you know, you said the meek will inherit the earth, but do you think that will happen during my lifetime (laughs) or my grandkids? And really sort of in between the lines, questioning her faith and and questioning sort of a sense of justice. Right. And it comes right on the heels of Antonio Banderas and Gary Oldman. I can't remember what they're talking about in that scene, but they're narrating and they're sitting behind her and talking about her. And I, I really wished the camera had been a little closer because she was clearly internalizing what they were saying and like somehow experiencing it even though she doesn't know they're in the room per se, but you couldn't see her face close enough because the camera was so far back. Yeah. I can tell you what, I can tell you what they were talking about if you want. It was, uh, 
it was when they were talking about how uh, Delaware became uh, yeah. some some version of a tax exempt state to try to compete with the big companies in New York and other places. And um, so there are currently, I think, in Delaware, 285,000 companies that are probably shell companies, none of which pay state tax. And the joke that is, I assume it's a joke. It's really bold if it's not. But the joke that they make um, partway through is he even says the director of this movie has five shell companies. The writer of this movie even has one. Do you remember that moment? Yeah, and they, they're not shells, right? They're just Delaware right. corporations. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, I misspoke. And so many people incorporate in Delaware because the taxes are better. Right. By better, I mean essentially non-existent. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that church scene. In particular, the... Um, the tone that she uses, she, you know, she as I think it's right after she said, you know, is this going to happen in my lifetime or my grandkids' children? She says, huh? As if this, like, you know, she's talking to God, but it almost sounds like she's kind of like lecturing, you know, God. Yeah. It, it, you know, it really is kind of. Yeah. And part of that is the character and not just Meryl. But there is, again, that sort of like badassery of of what it is that she's capable of doing that like you know she's giving god a piece of her mind and like man i believe what she has to say like you know what i mean it's yeah like what she has to say is so uh interesting um my one of the other moments i i love the the scene at the end so much that that would be you know that would get my vote but i thought the again it was kind of a somewhat inconsequential scene and it, it goes back to the Sharon Stone scene but I love that little bit of time that we had with her and her grandkids and she's telling the story of when she and her husband first met you know that whole like you know he pretended that he had sold tickets to or a, to attires to Diana Ross but you know she's talking to these kids and these kids it's another example of like what we talked about with other movies of like the rapport that she's able to build with kids. Like these kids were probably on the set for one day and it felt like a really real relationship. And, you know, the kids would crack up at, they didn't know what they were laughing at. They were just laughing because their grandma was laughing. You know, her grandma's making jokes about, uh, something being, oh, my ties being like a, what does she call like a fertility drug or something, you know, the kids yeah. don't know what she's talking about, but she laughs. And so they start laughing, they crack up and that, that sort of thing that is so relatable, but yeah. you know, at the same time, like she, she's like any other kind of older person she talks about, they went to see the Jerry Lewis, you know, muscular dystrophy telethon. Oh, we saw that live. As if the kids are going to be impressed by that. As if they have any idea what that is, you know. <laughs> Great. Oh, God. Oh, man. She's so phenomenal. Yeah. She just makes everything so real. Oh. Um, seriously, within the first couple minutes of her being on screen, not even that. It was sort of instant. I'm like, I know this woman. She's my mom. She's, right. I know yeah. this woman. Right. Yeah. And that's the beauty of Meryl Streep. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to, my phone is being a little bit uh, not helpful at the moment. I'm trying to build, I'm trying to bring up my list here. Um, 
I don't know. Do you have your list? I forgot to ask you before. Do you have your list? And if so, do you know where this would fit in? I don't have my list quite on me. Let's see. I have it on my phone, but I don't think it is up to date. I'm not going to give it a number right now because I haven't given it enough thought, but I very much enjoyed her performance. I very much enjoyed the film. I don't think it ends up in the top 10 for me in either instance. Interesting. Okay. Um, but I haven't decided where it goes yet. Okay. Yeah. How about you? Um, let me see. I'm trying to bring it up here. I'm real close to, oh, I just started playing one of our episodes on accident. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, I've got it's my, episode. yeah. Um, let's see in terms of performances. Okay. I've got Silkwood first postcards from the edge, the post Julie and Julia, the hours, devil wears Prada adaptation. I might put it in between. Um, I might put it in between Kramer versus Kramer and the River Wild. I think I like her in this maybe a little bit more than the River Wild. Um, I'm surprised you you disagree with that. You like the River her performance in the River Wild better. God, I'm so biased about River Wild. Like it's just one of my favorite. I I'm looking at my performance list, and I um I put it between Silkwood and Heartburn. Okay. Yeah. My top are the post, Julie and Julia, Devil Wears Prada, postcards. Yeah. And then Florence Foster Jenkins is right after that. And she's really excellent in that. And honestly, it's just a more meaty role. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at my, in terms of where the movie itself. See, this is tough because like, how do you compare this to Mary Poppins Returns, you know? (laughs) Really? That's why I almost think, like, how do you feel about losing the movie ranking and just keeping the performance ranking? Yeah, maybe. We'll think yeah, about it. It is tricky. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll kind of make our decisions. Again, because this movie um, just came out, it, I'm with you, too, that, like, having a little bit more time to uh, decide is maybe an okay thing. So um, our next episode is going to be on Holocaust, which some of you may have been expecting that this one would be about. Uh, we decided uh, to, you know, because this movie came out, we wanted to like jump on it and get it done. And, you know, this one's a little bit easier to take than Holocaust. Zach's being very nice in that um, it's taken me so long to actually watch the Holocaust that Laundromat came out and we wanted to be on top of that. So, um, yeah, I am getting on it and we'll finish Holocaust this week. Yeah, we're hoping to do Holocaust uh, next week. And and then actually we have something special planned for the week after that. So, um It'll be fun, even if we don't get to that one as planned next week. We'll get to that one, you know, next. The next movie review that we do will be Holocaust. I've watched Holocaust, and I don't want to watch it again in, like, you know, six months. So we're going to do Holocaust so we can yeah, just be done it. with it. We're um, doing it. But, um, yeah, well, I forget what I was saying. But, um, yeah, we'll, maybe by the time we get to that episode, we'll kind of have our lists really with it. So speaking of kind of as we as we move into our other uh, kind of categories here, speaking of kind of not being entirely with it, with, with our apologies, we've both forgotten who we decided on our six degrees was <laughs> for last time. So we're just not going to do that today. And instead, uh, we're going to say that next time we're going to do Idris Elba, which is, uh, you know, a pretty pretty obvious one in some ways, but we'll kind of get to it as um, 
kind of organically as as we can, perhaps. So, in the meantime, do you happen to have any uh, movies we wish Meryl was in? Oh, I'm like the worst podcast partner in the world. You're like, did you think of anyone for Six Degrees? Um, no. <laughs> did you think about films you wish she was in? No. <laughs> I don't do any of the things we're supposed to do, Zach. That's um, what- Films I wish she was in. No. Okay. I don't have one. You? I have kind of a, a, a cheater one in that I think we actually, when we before we changed this segment, it used to be the movies Meryl was almost in and the, and the um, criteria there was movies that she was rumored to either have auditioned for or she was considered for, right? And it just kind of became this because we ran out of those movies. Uh, basically, with Meryl Streep is she kind of has, you know, for a long time, like, had her choice. There's been very few things that she was not able to do for any reason. And basically, if she wanted it, she could do it. And uh, so one of the ones that, again, I keep referencing the the interview that I did with Erin Carlson, but um, I, I've been thinking about because she talked about it in, in the book, and uh, it is one that we talked about, but... Uh, in the early 90s, several years before the movie actually did get made, she was going to do Avita. And it's not just the idea of her as Avita that's interesting, but the thing that I had forgotten about it was that um, Oliver Stone was going to direct her as Avita. Doesn't that seem so strange? All coming back to me now, I remember all of this. Yes, so strange. Who ended up directing Avita? Uh, I think it was, I can look it up. I think it was Alan pa- uh, Peculia, I think. The guy from Midnight Express. Let me look it up and make sure that's correct. Um, I remember she was rumored to be in Evita, and I know, I mean, Madonna campaigned for it so hard. It's Alan Parker who directed that movie. Okay. Well, at one point, I, I mean, like, at least again, according, I I, I, don't, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn because I, I think I'm remembering this from Aaron's book correctly. I think she, I think she and Oliver Stone were like pretty set to make this movie at one point, like again in the early 90s. And then it yeah. kind of fell apart for a few reasons. So I think by the time Madonna came around to it, like I think Meryl had been like, you know, several years removed from it. So it's not like they went head to head and like she was... Okay. You know, it's not like they chose Madonna specifically over Meryl Streep. It's just these things go through different phases, you know. Um, But it was going to be directed by Oliver Stone. It was going to be choreographed by Paula Abdul, which is another like, what the hell? Like, you know, I I think that would be such an interesting movie. Yeah, I want to see it. Yeah. I would definitely want to see it. I think that. I think that actually wraps it Ooh. up. I feel Anything like else? We missed something. Oh wait, no. We got a. We. I'm gonna read a review uh, of a oh. review. It's kind of redundant now because it's kind of so much of what we were just talking about. Let me find it. I was just looking up Avita, so now I've got to go back. Um, but there are several of these. Um, again, okay. So this movie right now, we should talk about some of the other things that we sometimes talk about on IMDb. It's kind of early for Amazon reviews because it's not up yet in any format. I don't think on IMDb, there are 5,565 reviews currently. Um, and it's a 6.3 out of 10, 
which is okay, you know, and these things kind of level off after a while. Sometimes, you know, doing it right away the first weekend, you're going to get the people who are both diehard Meryl Streep fans and the people who, again, are just going to kind of rate it negatively because they really dislike her for one reason or another. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the actual user reviews, there are a lot of, you know, the, the 9 out of 10 and 10 out of 10 are kind of at the top. Um, there are some good headlines, like if you have a brain, it's a good movie. Um, <laughs> but there are several, the first ones that I noticed that came up were, all, were there were several, like one out of 10 that we're talking about. Oh, here's one. This is from uh, Mark three, nine, three, seven, five. And his title is sad excuse for a movie. Um, and he says, I wish I had read more reviews of this movie before going. I was surprised to see so many big name stars for an obvious B movie, but I went anyway. It was just okay until the last part where Meryl Streep felt she once again needed to jam her political beliefs down our throats. Why can't Hollywood just make a good movie without politics being interjected from the very rich Hollywood elite who, who while living in their mansions, feel the need to bash capitalism? The very thing that put them in those mansions, question mark. So I guess that's kind of what you were talking about. It's more capitalism than it is. But, you know, the whole, do you really think, Mark, 39375, that Meryl Streep wrote this movie? Like, Meryl Streep once again had to jam her political beliefs? What other movies was she doing that in? Maybe the post they feel like she was? I don't she know. She doesn't do it in any of her movies. This is probably exactly. the most blatant example. She does it in her actual life, but my God, she's an American. She gets to. She gets to, and also, like, it's... She really only has a few times. You know what I mean? It's not like she's out there like every day, you know. Uh, Jane Fonda has been arrested the last two weekends. Yeah. I don't know, if people know about that, you know. It's First of all, amazing. she is awesome. Like, man, I love Jane Fonda, especially for what she's doing. She moved to D.C. specifically so she could protest climate change out there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's... I don't know. The I'm I'm kind of just over people bashing movies and and Hollywood for like having the nerve to like speak out on issues that are so important of our time. Art is supposed to reflect the time period in which like we're living. That's like it's a it's public record. You know what I mean? Like this is what we use to to look back 20 years from now and think about what was important at this time, what was in the, in the like global discussion at the time, this is part of it. You know, you may not agree with every aspect of it, but you know, go to your God is not dead too. And shut up. Like, you know, I, I'm just done with this. <laughs> oh God. Am I going to get hate mail on that one, Meryl? Probably. Right. I don't know. I think our listeners are pretty on board with our point of view. I think so, too. I mean, I think most Meryl Streep fans have not been alienated by her. Ergo, they will not be alienated by us. Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I'm getting I'm getting weary of all of it. I just, yeah, I could go on. I'm not going to. I, uh, I try not to think about it too much because I get really super anxious. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we can we can move on. So anyway, thank you, everybody, for being with us. Um, this was a fun one. I, I really like talking about this. one. We went two hours, man. 
Yeah, yeah. This was this was a lot of fun to talk about. I liked uh, I liked watching this one. I liked talking about it. This was, I would say, um, this one didn't live up to like every hope and aspiration like the post did for me, but it hit it checked most of the boxes for me. Agreed. Same. So. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think this is, I mean, everybody at this point has access to Netflix, so there's really no excuse. If you're listening to a Meryl Streep podcast and you're, you've not yet checked out this movie, I don't, (laughs) I don't know who you are, but you know, respect. I, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not putting you down. I just (laughs) found me maybe, but, um, you know, everybody who's, uh, listening to this, I'm guessing has probably seen this movie. So let us know what you think too. That would be a fun segment is, you know, let us know what you think about this movie. Anybody out there who's seen Holocaust, send in your thoughts to Meryl Street podcast at Gmail. And if it's interesting enough, maybe we'll, we'll start reading some of that stuff. That'd be fun. I really uh, love that. If people want to write in about the movies they love, we're on board with incorporating into the show. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. So um, thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll be back as soon as we can. Night, everyone. That's all.